hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I have some exciting program updates for you to introduce across the platform a new show called Pulse. These are extraordinary voices for extraordinary times. We're excited to announce a brand new program, America Out Loud Pulse. Well, it brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Join us weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time or the Encore at 10 p.m. on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Five days with extraordinary hosts. On Monday, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. And on Tuesday, Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley of Concerned Doctors. Wednesday, Dr. Peter McCullough and Malcolm Aloud, yours truly. Thursday, Dr. Peter Bregan and wife Ginger Ross Bregan. And Friday, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler. So pencil us in if you would on your schedule, 5 p.m. weekdays, and I promise we'll keep you a beat ahead. Wow, I am so pumped up about the pulse. You heard the schedule there from uh, Malcolm Out Loud. Now, the questions and answers that Malcolm and I have been doing, they come into the platform. They're going to go into that Wednesday slot, which will tackle them. The pulse is going to be perfect for driving home or if you're already home, going for a walk before dinner, 5 o'clock Eastern, and then there'll be an encore at 10 p.m. Eastern. And that is really going to be terrific. Really, America's heroes uh, in terms of not only pandemic response, but of medical freedom. This is what really this is all about, how uh, now there's a, a incredible need for critical thinking, for medical jurisprudence, for attention to bioethics, uh, and about justice, medical justice. And moving forward over the next few months to several years, I think this is going to be a major theme. Well, I've got a terrific show for you. I wanted to catch you up on a couple developments. Now, they are on my Twitter feed. So if you go to P underscore McCullough MD, uh, P underscore McCullough MD, you'll find my Twitter feed. It's heavily shadow banned. Uh, but I wanted to bring back uh, just a couple really important uh, notes on my feed. And there, some of them are audio notes. They're are also uh, key updates from the studies, which I'll outline for you. Uh, but I wanted to, to bring you in and, uh, and have a listen to uh, Ann Vandersteel, who uh, runs the program, uh, steeltruth.com. Uh, she's absolutely terrific. Let's have a listen. Incredibly important is Dr. Peter McCulloch. He is the chief medical advisor for the Truth for Health Foundation. And he's bringing us some breaking news on the never-ending panic <laughs> pandemic, I should say, known as the coronavirus with the Omicron variant. This is something that has not been widely publicized, and of course, the mainstream media doesn't want to cover it. 
Dr. Peter McCullough, up next. If your protocol had been established and distributed worldwide, if people had recognized that this is a way to deal with early treatment, you think that the overall number of COVID deaths would have been significantly reduced? I testified in the U.S. Senate November 19, 2020. I told Americans under oath that 50% of the lives at that time could have been saved. We were at about 250,000 deaths based on what I knew. I then testified on March 10th, 2021 in the Texas Senate, sworn testimony. I upped that to 85% of the deaths could have been avoided. I think that statistic really got Joe Rogan. Uh, Joe Rogan, you recognize his, uh, his voice and, and uh, Vandersteel had basically inserted courtesy of the Joe Rogan show. And there was just one additional clip that put this forward. And, you know, I've told Tucker Carlson this. I've told Joe Rogan. I've told almost every person in the media. This has been my observation over the last two years. And I think it's the, probably the most chilling observation that one can possibly make really working in the field of early treatment and then witnessing the indiscriminate mass vaccination program. Let's have a listen. Hey, France. So we have three different areas showing early multidrug therapy as an outpatient works substantially, and we've had a giant loss of life, a giant number, millions and millions of unnecessary hospitalizations. And it seemed to me, and I've told Tucker Carlson and many others, it seems to me early on, there was an intentional, very comprehensive suppression of early treatment in order to promote fear, suffering, isolation, hospitalization, and death. And it seemed to be completely organized and intentional in order to create acceptance for and then promote mass vaccination. Hey, France. I can tell you that Steel Health is a terrific program. You ought to dial in and uh, have a listen. Uh, other notes on my Twitter feed, I just want to bring to your attention leading French scientist and, uh, and theorist, Dr. Marc uh, Giraudot, who's in our C19 circles, has published a wonderful substack. You should uh, take a, a, a look at it. The title of the most recent submission is Vaccine Russian Roulette, Why Some Might Be Fine and Others Not. And it's a probabilistic theory on the safety and efficacy of the cell-penetrating vaccines, and that is they're lipid nanoparticles, and it really depends on where they flow in the body, how they're taken up, uh, and if they hit enough enough, um, uh, vaccines that hit strategic strategic aspects of the body, then, uh, in fact, we're going to have trouble and, uh, and have these organ injury syndromes. They're... Um, uh, is absolutely no doubt about it. Now, I wanted to update you on the growing list of suspected vaccine injured or vaccine deaths. So uh, if we go way back to the start of the vaccine program, uh, baseball star and legend Hank Aaron uh, had a press conference in January of 2021. He took the vaccine. He felt great. His wife took the vaccine. 17 days later, he died. And the two press conferences on the vaccine administration and death were disconnected. Uh, Larry King, uh, former CNN commentator and longstanding uh, news anchor, Larry King died in the throes of COVID-19, but also uh, had received uh, the vaccine. 
we had uh, former Secretary of State Colin Powell, triple vaccinated, and then dies with multiple myeloma, uh, unclear. I made commentary on TV. I didn't make a big deal about it if whether the vaccine actually potentially hastened his uh, demise. He died with COVID-19, but he was a triple vaccinated, had terminal multiple myeloma. We've had uh, recently Haley Bieber, Justin Bieber's wife, have a blood clot in the brain, a young gal, probably in her 20s and 30s, uh, distinctly uh, unusual. We've had um, uh, scores of athletes across Europe uh, and some in the United States uh, with sudden death. We've had uh, a CNN business uh, correspondent uh, pass away and uh, die of the vaccine, really a prominent African-American uh, CNN uh, business uh, correspondent. We've had uh, most recently, uh, football legend Deion Sanders, who he played both offense and defense in football, and he played pro baseball, an incredible athlete, had large family, great father. Deion Sanders uh, developing blood clots, and they must have been arterial blood clots, and then requires amputation of the toes of his feet. I can tell you as a cardiologist, this just doesn't happen. These things uh, don't happen as a part of routine course all raising the issue of whether or not these individuals, in fact, took the vaccine. And now, most recently, Bruce Willis, uh, the um, a famous actor who was in Sixth Sense and so many of these incredible movies, announced that Bruce Willis has developed aphasia, a difficulty in actually getting the words out, which is probably a stroke-like syndrome. And again, the question is, could he have or did he take the vaccines? through a whole series of freedom conferences across the United States. So see my Twitter feed as well as my Telegram feed to be updated on some of these incredible uh, events. Uh, one of them uh, will be, I'm uh, just going through my Telegram feed right now, will be a Freedom Doctor Conference April 29th through May 1st in Conroe, Texas. is led by Dr. Angelina Farella, and she's the pediatrician in Houston who gave the historic uh, Texas Senate testimony, and uh, that will be in Conroe, Texas, and you can find that on the aapsonline.org uh, website. Additionally, uh, on my Twitter feed, there is a CDC rally in protest on Saturday, April 9th, 2022, 1 to 4 p.m. at the CDC headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia, is to honor those injured by the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, then there's an entire program called uh, the Save a Generation Tour, and that's going to run April 21st through April 30th in Florida, and I'm going to be a part of that tour for part of it. It's incredibly well organized, huge faculty. It's going to start out uh, Santa Rosa Beach, then Tallahassee, then Jacksonville, then Orlando, Largo, Venice, and Sarasota. There's VIP events, and uh, I can tell you these Health freedom events are electric. I love them. Uh, the energy is terrific. The education is wonderful. The fellowship. And I've met so many of you out there who listen to the McCullough Report and also have an interest in medical freedom. These events are very, very inexpensive. I think some of the tickets in these run $25. Some are uh, $35. Some are free altogether. But um, I think that is uh, absolutely terrific. A thing to do. I did want to mention that there is a Defeat the Mandates rally similar to the one that was in Washington, D.C., 
and that is going to happen in California. I am not going to be able to be there, but many of the C-19 heroes will be Sunday, April 10th in Grand Park, Los Angeles. No masks, no mandates, no fear. And so the defeats, the, the mandates um, rallies are absolutely uh, terrific. And um, there will be a children's uh, health defense Ohio chapter, really big presence in Columbus, Ohio on May 4th. And that's going to take place organized uh, by uh, the Children's Health Defense. But I will be at that conference as well as uh, leaders, Paul Merrick, Pierre Corey, uh, Steve Kirsch, many of the C-19 heroes that I've interviewed on the McCullough Report, and uh, importantly, uh, Robert F. Kennedy. Many of you will want to come to hear him in Columbus, Ohio. Moving on, there'll be uh, a health freedom event in uh, North Dakota, Fargo, North Dakota. I will be headlining on May 6th and 7th with uh, Chris Kobach. And if you've never heard Chris Kobach speak, you really need to hear him. He is terrific. He is uh, running for Attorney General of Kansas. He probably is the most brilliant constitutional lawyer I've seen out on the tour. I'll be headlining with Chris, and we've recently recruited in a, um, a wonderful a speaker who's been on the McCullough Report before and uh, and really is one of the most prominent citizens who's testified in the U.S. Uh, FDA meetings, and that's Kim Witzek. And so Kim has agreed to drive over, and the, and the uh, coordination is working out on that. So... Um, uh, you know, there are so many of these uh, freedom rallies going on. Uh, just keep uh, keep all of these together. Uh, see my Telegram feed, my Twitter feed. I'm also on Instagram. I'm heavily shadow banned, uh, but you can find me, as many do, and follow along with these events. Now, in terms of the medical update, I wanted to update you on a paper published by Shower and colleagues and it was published in the Journal of Pediatrics, and the title of the paper is Persistent Cardiac uh, MRI Findings in a Cohort of Adolescents with Post-COVID-19 Messenger RNA Vaccine-Induced Myopericarditis, and their shower describes a persistent of late gadolinium enhancement, or LGE. That's a sign that there's scarring going on in the heart, and uh, the CDC originally said the myocarditis is mild and it's transient, and this paper by Shower suggests it's not. In figure number two, which is up on my postings, uh, uh, images from three days after admission of a 16-year-old male, and then 4.4 months later, show the persistence of late gadolinium enhancement. Now, it decreased from 26 to 19.84%, but I can tell you as a cardiologist, a general rule, any late gadolinium enhancement that is greater than uh, 15%, puts someone at an excessive risk of cardiac death. So for instance, in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, Fabre's disease, and um, other forms of cardiomyopathy, a lot of times we'll use that 15% cutoff to decide on a defibrillator. And I can't imagine this poor 16-year-old boy is going to end up with a defibrillator for the risk of sudden death if this late gadolinium enhancement uh, does not improve. Uh, but not good news for the vaccine-induced myocarditis uh, picture. Uh, other updates uh, that we have out there. On the positive side, 
uh, Lizelle Steenkamp and colleagues has published in uh, the British Journal of Sports Medicine a paper titled Small Steps, Strong Shield, Directly Measured Moderate Physical Activity in 65,361 Adults is associated with a significant protective effects from severe COVID-19 outcomes. This is the paper we've been waiting for. Uh, I've been stating for the longest time, we've had so many experts on the McCullough Report who've said, listen, get, get in shape, lose weight, get ready if COVID-19 strikes. In this paper, uh, this large cohort, they were unvaccinated, never had COVID before, and having a decent level of fitness there was over 40% risk reductions in the use of the ICU, ventilation, and death. And there's no doubt about it, being fit really matters. Now, this was through the course of the pandemic, and the group they captured had 11.1% hospitalization rate. That's high, meaning that fitness really matters when you're sick enough to be hospitalized. So I really thought that paper was uh, terrific. Moving on, Dr. Hamid Merchant from the UK, uh, guest on the McCullough Report in the last year, published in the British Medical Journal, a paper, Why COVID-19 Vaccines for Young Children Age 5 to 11 Are Not Essential at This Moment in Time. It makes the case that uh, the syndrome is mild, as we know, in children, and the systemic vaccines uh, have toxicity profiles. But he brings up the point that it makes a lot of sense that if we're going to have vaccines in children that we use to nasal, we shift to nasal mist vaccines to actually start to get the nasal cavity immunized. Uh, secretory IgA, which is the main antibody in the sinuses, as well as the T cells and the natural killer cells in the sinuses, they are not primed or even uh, produced with systemic uh, vaccination in the arm. So vaccinating the arm for a virus in infection in the nasal cavity should make sense to you that uh, indeed uh, a nasal mist type of vaccine in the future would make a lot of sense. Next up is a high profile event, 100% vaccinated cruise ship hit with a COVID-19 outbreak. Just another example how fully vaccinated populations carry and transmit COVID-19 to one another. It's probably better. My commentary is have povidone iodine or hydrogen peroxide available for nasal washes and gargles in order to be able to reduce the viral load and uh, turn PCR negative. And there are multiple prevention studies showing it's approximately 50% preventive in terms of acquiring COVID-19 and probably uh, reduces the spread of, uh, of illness. Next up, a paper by Amit and colleagues in the New England Journal of Medicine. The title of this research letter published on March 16, 2022, is Efficacy of a Fourth Dose of COVID-19 Messenger RNA Vaccine Against Omicron. So here, it's an observational study. Individuals who have already taken uh, the first shot, the second shot, and the third shot, now they're up for the fourth shot, and they categorize them in terms of having either Moderna or Pfizer and the key report is in the Twitter uh, listing. And by the way, uh, when we look at papers now, I completely ignore the author's conclusions and the text and just go to the data. In this case, the data tables in the supplemental materials. And there, the vaccine efficacy for Pfizer Moderna against infection or against any disease is less than 45%. Anything less than 50% is essentially useless. In fact, there's a theory that if we have vaccines that are less than 45% vaccine efficacy, that we may actually just promote more uh, mutant strains and allow the virus to basically multiply in somebody who has uh, vaccinated biology. So we don't want low 
um, efficacy vaccines to even be used because it's probably just going to promote more problems. So the fourth dose did not turn out well. Vaccines did not perform well. But the good news is at the bottom of the table, across the board, 0% rates of use of the emergency room or being hospitalized with Omicron. So it's basically like a mild cold. And I think everybody can breathe easy now in terms of uh, not worrying that they're going to get Omicron and end up uh, in the hospital. The next uh, uh, news item is a uh, just a brief mention uh, that I was on ABC TV in a documentary called The Ivermectin Trail, and I was quoted by ABC, I think being uh, fairly quoted uh, as follows, quote, if a patient is denied ivermectin, but the doctor says, listen, I'm comfortable with giving Paxlovid, I'm perfectly fine with that. Okay. But if the doctor says no to ivermectin, no to hydroxychloroquine, no to Paxlovid, no drugs at all, go home and wait until you come back sick, I'm not okay with that, McCullough told ABC News. So I think uh, despite an adversarial type of interview, I think I was fairly quoted there, and um, and that was uh, a terrific uh, another brief update is that um, the FDA has withdrawn the sotorivimab monoclonal antibody based on a fear of that it won't uh, contain the virus. So now we're left with the 2cc injection of bortolibumab for, that's produced by Lilly for the Omicron variant. And now we have a new entry called the EVU Shield. The EVU Shield is a product that uh, can be used in immunocompromised and high-risk individuals who are uh, not either candidates for the vaccine or it believes the vaccine won't work. And here we give uh, Tixagivimab, 300 milligrams, and Silgagivimab, 150 milligrams, shot one, uh, and then shot two, and then every six months. And uh, these are monoclonal antibodies. They're not vaccines, but they're monoclonal antibodies. And they do, in a sense, work like vaccines, uh, can be in place of the genetic vaccines, Evushield. I've already recommended them to some transplant uh, patients. Uh, additionally, on my feed is um, the Anchor study. So the Anchor study, it's Chow and colleagues. The title of the paper is Association of Early Aspirin Use with In-Hospital Mortality in Patients with COVID-19. Now, these are patients sick enough to be put in the hospital. Aspirin was associated with statistically significant reduction in mortality. Now, it was a modest reduction, uh, about a 15% risk reduction, but and, and 98% of patients were treated with Lovenox or low white heparin. But I have to say that the fact that aspirin observational, observationally was shown to do anything in the hospital, I think is really great news because we've been using aspirin early in the McCullough root protocol at home. So has the Italian uh, uh, treatment domiciliary group led by Eric Cromaldi. We've traded notes on this. The Italians have been using it early on. If any of you develop COVID-19 because of the risk of heart attack and stroke through the illness and beyond, uh, I, I follow in line with the Italians and Japanese and extend aspirin out to 90 days uh, 325 milligrams a day. Our Italian colleagues use 700 milligrams a day. We're probably going to need more than the baby aspirin. I had uh, a, uh, a terrific interview and opportunity on stage, in a sense, uh, for my first time with CrossPolitik. And if any of you had a chance to listen to uh, CrossPolitik, 
they are a group that involves uh, politics, uh, religion, medicine, and the law. So there's actually four different components to it. We had one in Fort Worth, and um, I thought it was really terrific. Let me just play for you a couple of clips. I, I really like these guys. I was sitting next to, to my right, is Pastor Doug Wills, who the, uh, was really the, good. And the American Medical Association in the United States has a campaign to abolish the use of ivermectin. Yep. Abolish it. Yep. <laughs> the absurdity of this. It's now we have pace. now we have vaccines. <laughs> we have vaccines where the vaccines are only indicated to prevent the development of COVID. That's what they're indicated in doing. So there are people at the suggestion of their doctors and government authorities that have already had COVID. And what are they doing? They're taking a vaccine. Yeah. It's yeah. too late. It should be absurd <laughs> to take a vaccine for something you've already had. And the American So I'm going through this absurdity and the, the theory of mass psychosis. And we've had key people on the McCullough Report to explain this. But uh, mass psychosis is probably the most understandable way of explaining why thinking uh, appears to be so far off in the medical community and so many that, walks of life. Let's have another The majority listen. of doctors are in the formation. And what I mean by this is that uh, uh, Matthias Desmet at the University of Ghent in Belgium has this construct. And we've seen it before in mass uh, suicides, like uh, 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 the religious cults that end right, up in yeah, suicide. Right. It clearly happened in Nazi Germany. And the mass formation has four criteria. The first is a prolonged period of isolation. That happened. Mm -hmm. The second is having things taken away that people used to enjoy. That's happened. The third is constant free-floating anxiety. Mm -hmm. Constant. Like President Biden right before Christmas saying it's going to be a dark, deadly winter for the unvaccinated. You, can you Merry imagine Christmas. a president <laughs> said, said that to our seniors uh, when they didn't have Christmas last year? And that's what he—that's how he, he, he rolled it up for them right. this year. Wow. And then number four is that there must be a solution or sets of solution that come down from a, an entity of authority, the federal government. And so we've actually fulfilled all four criteria. So that gives you uh, basically the analysis of mass formation psychosis. And, and I do sincerely believe uh, that we're there, that we're in mass formation. Now I want to get to our music segment, uh, this show. Uh, Mark Trozzi, T-R-O-Z-Z-I, -Z who's a doctor in Canada, he does one of the best blogs and email updates. You should probably join his service. It's terrific. Mark sent in this piece from uh, South Africa. It's really an, an inspiration from South Africa. And it's True South and Martin PK not for sale. Let's just have a brief listen. It's time for you to let them know your country is not for sale. Tell them your country is not for sale. One time. It's about time. Nations are not for sale. No. Yo. Nothing but the truth. It's time. Yeah. True South, modern PK. Yeah. Listen, the nations are not for sale. 
the people of God declare And we pray in the name of the Lord For Nana and the Kufa Cause Ghana is not for sale Pray for President Cyril Ramaphosa We gotta let them know South Africa is not for sale We are born free expressing God's glory Together we declare our freedom is not for sale <laughs> Rest in peace Magufuli I hear your people screaming that Tanzania is not for sale And though we see many lies on the TV Tell big pharmacy Madagascar is not for sale So many fallacies Politics with the medicine policies going tyranny, homie, this is a felony. So many prophecies fulfilling, but they never seen. We never joined up in solidarity to the enemy. Cause we already cast out the virus, and we never let demons oppress us. I prophesy about the spirit very soon. God we move through the leaders like in the time of Cyrus. So we screaming, Pharaoh, got to let the people go. Watch your battle witness is the chronic cause of miracles. Never back to Belzebub. We will never sell our souls and nations of the Lord. Jesus. That's uh, Nations, or We Are Not For Sale, by True South and Martin P.K., inspiration from South Africa, sent in by legendary podcaster, doctor, writer, Mark Trozzi, who's uh, really a hero of Canada. I can't wait to have Mark on the McCullough Report sometime in the future. We have a terrific show for you today on the back half. For the first time, I'm inviting to the microphone uh, the uh, two doctors who are going to be hosting one of the Pulse segments through the week, Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley. These are practicing doctors. I met them in Huntsville, Alabama, and I tell you, they are true American heroes. They've been treating some of the highest risk patients with COVID-19. They are very knowledgeable about the interface between politics, healthcare, the law, medical bioethics, uh, practical issues in terms of taking care of patients. And I, I can tell you just personally, they're two of the most decent, 
reasonable men that are in this field today. And I'm so proud of them uh, to join the America Out Loud platform and join you uh, in your uh, uh, in your living room or uh, through your earbuds on your podcast or with your family, friends, and others on America Out Loud, The Pulse. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. The Genesis Fogger is critically important to breathing cleaner air, which is essential to good health. Almost no one is killing pathogens in the air where they pose the risk of transmission. We've been ridiculously focused on hand sanitizer and other measures where the problem is the microbes are in the air, including COVID-19. The Genesis Fogger is HOCL. It's a powerful tool, not only for living with COVID, but also removing harmful pathogens. Remember, if we have fewer virions in the air, much less likely to get a critical inoculum and actually get clinically sick. The same thing applies to the cold and flu, whether it be adenoviruses, coronaviruses, polymyxoviruses, influenza, viruses. And also, there are antibiotic-resistant superbugs. There can be ones particularly that are airborne, including uh, Clostridium difficile, which is airborne and uh, in um, in contact mode. So if you're caring for uh, someone uh, elderly at home, someone sick in your home, or if you just want a better overall health condition for your air, a healthier air in your home, uh, consider the Genesis Fogger that utilizes HOCL. The Genesis Fogger is perfectly designed. It's a machine that produces a fine dry mist using HOCL that quickly kills germs, bacteria, and viruses in the air and surfaces, and it does it simultaneously. Unlike other products, HOCL is natural, safe, and effective. It can be used around people, animals, and plants. It doesn't harm the environment. It's not messy. It's easy to set up and it's clinically proven. So please go to uh, genesisfogger.com slash outloud and uh, get 15% off your purchase of the Genesis Fogger. That's where the upfront cost is going to be. And I can tell you, you're going to be happy you did it. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on the precautions, but deep down, you still want to avoid getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray. Made in the USA, Cofix RX reduces viral loads and minimizes the risk of you getting sick. Find a retailer near you or click our banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. I want to put in a big word for healthy cell supplements. The GI tract is not functioning normally. 
in long COVID syndrome. I'm convinced of it. There are multiple studies. We need a much better absorbed set of nutraceutical and vitamin products for long COVID syndrome, and that's Healthy Cell. They have an entire line that's safe and effective, uh, can help people through the long COVID syndrome. I found the best way to use Healthy Cell products is use them every day, not on and off, on and off. Take them every day consistently. The Immune Super Boost, Focus and Memory, and the REM Sleep Supplement all have powerful effects in long COVID syndrome. Go to HealthyCell.com and in the promo code, type in out loud for 20% off your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's my great pleasure to welcome two new hosts who will be starting on the platform on the program, The Pulse, Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley. Jordan and Stuart, welcome to The McCullough Report. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thanks for having us. America Out Loud has had a terrific uh, increase in following with COVID-19, with so many issues around medical care of COVID, uh, safety and efficacy of early treatment, the advent of the vaccines, and now linkage to uh, censorship, medical freedom. Uh, America Out Loud has a tradition that is very strongly oriented towards conservatism, uh, personal and civil liberties. And, uh, you know, I'm so interested to hear what you are going to tackle on the show. Why don't we start with Jordan? Jordan, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, my name is uh, Jordan uh, Vaughn. I'm an internist in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. I um, own really my own practice, my own pharmacies, my own labs, uh, kind of uh, came from an independent physician background with my father starting this back in the year I was born and uh, have really, uh, uh, really always been somebody that is interested in what is right and liberty and the ability for physicians to make the best decision for their patient. And that's really how I got connected with Dr. Tankersley as well as America Out Loud. That's terrific. And uh, Dr. Tankersley, can you also introduce yourself for the audience? Yes, sir. Thank you once again for having us. Uh, Yeah, I'm a family medicine doctor and have been uh, for the last 20 or more years. I have uh, been in the National Guard, served three times with deployments overseas. And uh, so I'm very involved in understanding how uh, medical systems operate uh, from the macro, but also the micro, because I understand the private physician's dilemma in this current uh, environment that we're in because I own my own small clinic here in uh, Alabama. And uh, Jordan, how are you um, experiencing changes in patient volume through the pandemic and now through this era of vaccination? Have you seen an increase or decrease in volumes or is it staying the same? Well, because we kind of took the stance that obviously um, our commitment at my uh, company, as well as the physicians within the practice was to take care of the patients, regardless of their illness. Um, We, I mean, we're kind of like the only uh, probably shop in town in Birmingham that was offering the full range from testing to within an hour of testing positive, getting monoclonal antibodies. So our demand just skyrocketed it. But in addition, our demand for uh, has also skyrocketed because a lot of patients are starting to question whether their physician has their best interest or whether has their own or their hospital or their administration or the state's interest uh, in terms of taking care of them. And so uh, because we are open and out loud about the fact that what our oath is, is to the patient, not the public, 
um, we uh, have really seen a, an increase in demand for uh, just a doctor that literally follows all the things that my father taught me. And Stuart, have you, have you seen the same thing? Exactly. I come from a family of physicians as well. And traditionally, uh, we were engaged with the patient uh, in a one-on-one relationship that uh, served them and us well. Um, and unfortunately, with the impositions in the past two years, there have been many revealed problems in the medical industrial uh, complex and in the delivery of healthcare that is very troublesome in many ways. And that's a lot of what we will be focusing on. I can tell you my experience is the same. Now, I'm corporately employed. I've always been corporately employed. I've never been uh, a private practitioner. Uh, but, but it's known, uh, just as it is with both of you, that I've always treated patients to the best of my ability with COVID-19. And now I'm managing, like you, uh, the decision on the vaccine and even consequences of the vaccines, including vaccine injuries. And one of the things I'm seeing is that patients right now are not showing a lot of forgiveness, meaning when they were denied treatment by their primary doctor. And importantly, when they're told to take a vaccine, uh, despite warnings and clear-cut contraindications, the patients are furious and they are leaving their doctors in droves and seeking uh, alternative care. I've had a few doctors just come in and say, listen, I need a critical thinker. I'm not really sick right now, but I need a doctor I can rely on. And that's the reason why they've come to visit and they come from great distances. What do you see on the horizon in terms of things starting to return to normal? We heard about uh, Dr. Mark Steffen, a doctor in Kansas, who's a state senator, getting over the finish line some legislation that would uh, mandate the pharmacists uh, dispense lawful prescriptions for ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and the state accept vaccine um, uh, mandate applications by patients. We saw in New Hampshire uh, ivermectin going over the counter. Uh, do you see more of those developments, or is each one going to be a knockdown, dragout fight? Well, I, I, this is Stuart, and I see that it is a real problem because of the unfortunate grip on the control and delivery of healthcare in our state. And unfortunately, it is the intervention between my patients and myself or other physicians and what they would like to do for the patient that is being um, uh, suppressed, if not um, uh, questioned. And this is the first time in 20 years of practicing that I've ever considered this type of uh, dialogue that is not being supported or being encouraged, but actually the opposite is occurring. And in Alabama, to the point of uh, legislation, uh, the medical systems here have a great amount of uh, control or um, influence on what decisions are being made. And my concern in learning about things here in the capital of Montgomery is that the a lot of the state legislators are not aware. They're just not aware of the influence that is going, uh, that's uh, influencing what the delivery of healthcare is, uh, how it is impacting the patients. And for example, last weekend, two family friends uh, had, both of, both of them had loved ones in the emergency room and there was a 40 plus hour wait in the emergency room because they couldn't get them up to the floors because they didn't have enough nurses on the floor to take care of them. So they were in a holding pattern in the emergency rooms. And as a result of that, it uh, just trickles 
down to the uh, questioning, like uh, Dr. Vaughn was talking about. There's this questioning, this surreal approach to what's going on. Why can't my family and I get the health care that we have been accustomed to in the past? Now, Jordan, you and I are both uh, internists. I maintain my boards in internal medicine and cardiology, but I'm really more of a medicine doctor. I can't remember a time where we would have a drug uh, such as remdesivir, where the World Health Organization, after a really careful uh, panel review, human ethicist review, and the European Society of Critical Care, formally state a recommendation against the use of remdesivir because it results in more mortality, uh, higher death rates, acute kidney injury, and what's called drug-induced uh, liver injury. I can't remember a time where we had strong recommendations against a therapy, but yet it be uh, a U.S. standard leading to poor outcomes in among hospitalized patients. Can you think of anything over the course of your career like this? I can't. And I think the other thing is, is when you even talk to the patients that have been hospitalized, the doctors that are giving them this medication usually say that we know it really doesn't work, Um, which to me is a very uh, good indicator that the doctor themselves is questioning the use of this, but some other power is telling them to use it. And I think that is a, a concerning to me when we're talking about what is best for the patient, because again, your physician should be looking out for you, biased for you, using the nuance that is you to take care of everything that makes the person in front of them up, not some bureaucrat, not some CEO, not some state health official. That person should not be pleased. It should be the patient that is taken care of. And I think that's the thing that concerns me the most is when patients say the doctor even said it doesn't work, but we're going to give it to you anyway. And that uh, is, is an indication that there's some other uh, you know, foot on the pedal. And there's more overt indications. I'm looking at a paper here by Karen Burns from the Academy Group. And the Academy Group is the uh, Critical Care Development Evaluation and Methodology Group published in JAMA, JAMA Open. And uh, they conclude that the adherence to clinical practice guidelines for drugs for patients with COVID-19 in the hospital, that that's the, the path, the uh, um, the guidelines themselves are not trustworthy. Uh, they had only 18.8% of the guidelines uh, have a clear description of the benefits and the harms, i.e. they're not even stating what the harms or the benefits would be of remdesivir. Only 9.4% of these guidelines had a, requi- a uh, requirement or a commitment to external review and updating. And the conclusions were that few clinical practice guidelines met standards to be considered trustworthy. Can you imagine this is in our literature? This is the most common reason now adults are being hospitalized in the United States. At least it was over the last two years, one of the big ones. And the guidelines, interestingly, I've uh, always thought to myself and cardiology, we have, gosh, I bet we have easily 60 or 70 guidelines now. I've always thought about guidelines being some type of base set of uh, recommendations or summaries but I've never thought of guidelines being the limit of what I can do. Do you see what I mean? So the idea is if there's guidelines that say, well, you know, check an oxygen saturation or apply oxygen or give an IV, that's fine. These can be base sets of recommendation, Uh, but they never have outlined the, um, the, the maximum I can do for a patient. So I would take the National Institutes of Health guidelines 
and say, you know, remdesivir, I, you know, that doesn't sit well with me. WHO and the critical care guidelines are strongly against it. Um, but I do see positive data for uh, corticosteroids, for aspirin, for um, anticoagulation, for ivermectin, for hydroxychloroquine early. My clinical judgment would tell me that monoclonal antibodies administered uh, in the, in the uh, ER uh, would be very reasonable or even early in the hospital stay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel um, uh, bound by any types of limitations. I've never been bound by limitations. I'm doing patients right now. And the next patient I see, I'm not going to say, wow, I can't give them this medication because of uh, some, some boundary that stops them. But yet in COVID-19, that seems to be the case. Stuart, what can we do from a physician perspective? Uh, is it reasonable now for doctors to start to, to get into politics? They usually say medicine and politics don't mix. I think uh, it's high past time, obviously. Um, you, you mentioned the, what you're talking about in a way is the duplicity of a lot of things that are going on that are brand new to um, the United States delivery of healthcare. And an example of this duplicity, you just mentioned a few. In October of 2020, there was a New England Journal article before the vaccines rolled out, and it gave six simple guidelines that must be met before there could be a consideration of the mandating of the vaccines. They clearly were not and have not been met, yet they just go on full bore uh, with their program of vaccinating anybody and everybody. Immunity, uh, natural immunity doesn't matter. The science has been thrown out the window to a large part, and it's very concerning, not just to us, but to our patients. Most concerning, I think, are safety standards. Uh, Jordan, what do you uh, think in terms of your independent review of safety on the vaccines? Uh, To me, I mean, actually, I I recently did a kind of deep dive into the history of just mRNA technology and mRNA usage for vaccinations. And actually, there was a great uh, systematic review of mRNA technology uh, for vaccinations put out by the NIH. And I will uh, challenge everybody to go look at the safety part of that document and everything that they were worried about in the safety section is exactly the things that are happening. And uh, it was at that time, again, had not been solved, had not been uh, uh, completed safety studies. And yet we just threw this out there knowing that all of these issues were at stake and had not been solved. I can tell you, I just finished a conference call with Canada and France on this issue of vaccine safety. And can we ever get a roundtable discussion going with any doctor from any public health agency, any medical school in any country to support the vaccines? And I was with Steve Kirsch, who's headed up the COVID early treatment fund and now the vaccine injury treatment fund. And in the Senate record, in the state house in Pennsylvania, Steve testified, he is willing to pay any amount of money to any doctor who will come forward in a round table and defend the vaccines as being safe and effective. And it's in the record now, no doctor will do that. We've uh, set up a discussion on early treatment vaccine safety and efficacy in uh, Kansas City, invited the entire University of Kansas Infectious Disease Department is myself, Pierre Corey, uh, Julio Lopez, 
and the KU uh, faculty uh, who, who had agreed to participate didn't show up and sent a video. We did the same thing in Penn State. They didn't show up. Uh, we went all the way to the U.S. Senate on January 21st, and we had you know a dozen or so clinical doctors, preclinical scientists, uh, nurses, patients, lawyers, invited all the uh, the stakeholders, all the heads of the NIH, uh, relevant NIH, CDC, pandemic response, White House people, no one showed up in the Kennedy caucus room in the U.S. Senate. So we have a situation here where people must know that they're not safe and effective, uh, but there is this complicity or this fear or this co-opting of what's going on, and patients can sense it now. Now, uh, Stuart, among your patients uh, in your practice, what percent do you think have, have actually taken the vaccine since the start of the vaccine program? I would guesstimate maybe up to a third. Okay. And uh, what percent do you think are going forward with boosters? They still remain convinced and they're doing it. I have had uh, probably a couple of dozen who have received the booster up until this point, And I just encourage them as always. However, the Lord leads them is always the appropriate answer. But then evaluate the data. And I think they will be appalled and, um, and will second guess getting a booster again. Jordan, how about in your practice? Uh, I would say initially in the January to February term, a lot of my um, immunocompromised or patients with other things, uh, probably about half of them uh, were vaccinated. I was kind of the first to notice that all of a sudden my persons with solid organ transplant, uh, I, I was checking antibodies really actually even before the vaccine came out. So I was kind of interested to see what antibody titers did and over time what those antibody titers quantitatively changed. Um, so I kind of knew, and I started also questioning whether this thing actually worked in that subset and none of them had antibodies. So it started me, even me asking even more questions about what the, what was going on with this vaccine, but, uh, very few of them have gotten the boosters. Uh, I think, uh, locally I'm, uh, I've become known whether that's a good thing or bad thing that someone that questions the data and questions the science of what's being uh, pushed down our throat. The only thing that seems to be driving boosters is employment or school or travel. I yesterday had a busy clinic and I had one of my longstanding, very severe heart failure patients. And he also has adult asthma and he has an ejection fraction of 10%. And the listeners would understand his heart is barely pumping. He has an ICDN, uh, very low blood pressure. Uh, he also has lung cancer. We've empirically treated with radiation. I'm talking about this person is the highest risk. I don't think he would tolerate two hours of COVID-19, honestly. Uh, and early on in the pandemic, he took uh, the vaccines, shot one and shot two in January of 2021. We got to August of 2021. He took a booster. Now I've seen him in March. And I asked him, I said, you know, what, what have you done with the vaccines? He goes, well, I haven't taken any more shots. I'm, I'm due for a booster. But I asked him, I said, is there any reminders? Is there any system to, to, to help you? And he'd be the someone, if there was a benefit to the vaccine, he would derive the maximum benefit from some pulmonary protection. He would. And, you know, for the people who are sickest at risk like him, there's no reminder system. There almost seems to be no interest in patients like him. But yet uh, the students trying to return to campus, the college students are hit with this uh, booster right in their face or those uh, employed a lot of uh, military contractors and others. So even the, the vaccine response in terms of 
who's being uh, encouraged to take boosters doesn't seem to be appropriately applied. And, I, and Stuart, I did the same thing with him. I really did. I did the same thing with him. I said, you know, the virus is mutated. Uh, I'm looking at the data. Uh, uh, you know, you'll have to look at it too and talk to your other doctors. Uh, and I worry because people like the people who are most likely to succumb to COVID-19 respiratory infection are actually also the same ones to succumb to a vaccine complication. So let me just finish with uh, one final question, uh, uh, Jordan, first. Um, how long do you think it's going to be before we are back to normal? You know, me and Stuart uh, talk a lot about this in terms of, I think uh, a lot of COVID-19 is actually probably more of a revealing. It's a, it's, it was a crisis within our profession. And I think what it did was reveal more of the um, foundational cracks that uh, need to be addressed. Uh, and so in many ways, returning to normal is gonna require, um, not, I mean, COVID I think will be long gone before people uh, start to uh, trust again that their physician in the room with them is speaking for them. And I think, uh, I think that that trust has been broken somewhat. And I, again, this trust has been acquired in a short period of time. I mean, a hundred years ago, doctors were not much uh, in the professional realm, much, much respected. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it takes a long time to gain that trust of the populace. It doesn't take long to lose it. And I think uh, we've got to return um, to those core principles of scientific inquiry. And I think that's going to take a, a long time. I don't think it's a short fix at all. Stuart, do you tend to agree with that? A hundred percent. In the military, we've heard the saying, a crisis, a crisis does not uh, develop character as much as reveal it. And I'm very disturbed by the uh, revelations that have occurred the last two years and the lack of dialogue. This is something I would never have imagined our profession uh, engaging in, but it is simply no allowance. There is no allowance for anybody to question the authorities from above. And that is just, I've had so many patients come to me from their specialist, whether it's a lung or heart specialist or somebody and say, uh, and beg them to take a vaccine that is still experimental. And at least to my eyes, to the evidence I've seen, is very questionable and dangerous, potentially, yet they beg them without any awareness of any uh, informed consent, if you will, of the potential downsides. Nobody receives the down potential downsides of this vaccine, and the data dump from Pfizer earlier this month clearly revealed there are downsides. I think that sums it up really well. We're going to have to leave it here uh, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Jordan Vaughn, internist, and Dr. Stuart Tankersley, Family Medicine. They will be launching the uh, program that is really going to be, I think, a, a signature program for the America Out Loud platform, The Pulse. Doctors, thank you so much for joining me on the McCullough Report. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you so much as well. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.